The history of television is a history of failure. For every television series that lasted years and years, there were dozens that lasted only one season or less. But did they deserve to die? Or were they... Cancelled too soon? And welcome back to Cancel Too Soon, the podcast where we review television series that lasted only one season or less. My name is William Bibiani. I'm a film critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. My name is Tom Waits, and I am a musician of some stripe. I drink a lot and I smoke a lot. My name is not really Tom Waits. I just sound like him. I tonight. was I was in awe. I was oh my god! <laughs> it's like he was in the room. Frank's Wild Years is one of my favorite <laughs> albums. This is amazing. You don't like Blue Valentine? That was my favorite. Based his energy string. My name is Whitney Seibold. <laughs> I could go on. I really could. My name is Whitney Seibold. I am also a film critic of some stripe, I suppose. Eh. Belong to some organizations who seem to think I'm a film critic. You're okay. And uh, we also podcast. You're okay. Thanks. We a also lot. host that other podcast, Critically Acclaimed, over the Schmozno <laughs> Network. But that is not Cancel Too Soon. Cancel Too Soon is the podcast where we review television series. They only last one season or less. Yeah. And over the course of our uh, rather storied run. Our, our tenure, as it were. Yeah. Right? Uh, we've, we've reviewed a lot of uh, action shows, mm-hmm. a lot of uh, science fiction shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot fair, of bad science fiction shows. A lot of shows. bad science fiction shows. A fair number of comedies. We need to do more of those, but we've done some. Um, but we haven't done uh, a couple of things that we're doing for the first time. Mm-hmm. In this episode, we've never uh, done a talk show. That's right. We've never done a fishing show. <laughs> this is true. How and, many of those are there? Uh, I remember quite a few, actually, <laughs> when I was growing up. There was a lot of like nature-type like, programs. On like, um, like the UHF stations, like not even yeah. public, like the public access stuff. Yeah, like, like in the Bob Ross sort of mm-hmm. uh, tranquil, hanging out by a lake. Yeah. Chilling. It's uh, the, the this old house school of television. Yeah, the sort of. Do you ever do you ever see this old house? You ever um, watch any of that? Bob Vila. I, I remember Norm it. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't watch a lot of it, but there was a time when quote unquote reality television was a lot friendlier. <laughs> like it really felt a little bit closer to like Mister Rogers' Neighborhood than mm. anything else, and. What we are reviewing, this is actually one of our more commonly uh, uh, requested shows amongst a certain demographic. We've had a lot of people uh, ask us to review it. You've, this is actually a donation from one of our uh, particularly fabulous uh, listeners. Uh, they have recommended a show that is incredibly relaxing. It is incredibly odd. <laughs> it is incredibly odd. Um, it, it's even hard to, to call it a TV show in you, some respects. You may have noticed that even I... Uh, the more manic member of the podcast uh, are particularly mellow uh, this week. Um, so if you're listening to us while you drive, um, wake up! <laughs> don't don't let yourself fall into the trap. Don't don't get too mellow. We're going to lure you into a somnambulist state. Yeah, uh, let's review a little program called Fishing 
with John. I don't have a clip for this one. Um, <laughs> we can just sing the theme song. Fishing with John. It's like the it's like the Twin Peaks theme song, but even mellower. It has that yeah. kind of Twin Peaksy vibe, that very homey vibe, mm-hmm. that very chill vibe. So, the, uh, uh, fishing with John. With John the-, the John in question yes. is John Lurie. He is a musician uh, who was in a band called John Lurie and the Lounge Lizards. Mm-hmm. I don't know anything about the band. I asked my wife, who knows a lot about rock, about John Lurie. She knows nothing about John Lurie either. Uh, John Lurie uh, also um, did some acting. He uh, was in a bunch of Jim Jarmusch movies. Including uh, Stranger Than Paradise yeah. and Down by Law, um, he was also uh, uh, I believe was in The Last Temptation of Christ, uh, and he's done some musical scores over the years, including things like uh, Clay Pigeons, uh, the the aforementioned Jim Jarmusch movies, and I believe he was nominated for a Grammy for his work on Get Shorty. It's a good score. So John Lurie uh, was uh, a very connected. Uh, individual and knew a lot of interesting creative artistic types. Mm-hmm. And when the time came for John Lurie to do his own television series <laughs> created by John Lurie, mm-hmm. he created a series called Fishing with John. It aired on the IFC and Bravo networks in 1991. So we're a bit, bit hazy like, on the dates on this, but it aired in 1991. This was like proto IFC because IFC wasn't like a mm-hmm. big, wasn't like a known property yet. Yeah, even Bravo was this odd little black sheep mm-hmm. of, a, of a cable network. I guess it still kind of is. Bravo is a network that would air a lot of sort of highbrow, independent movies. They only had a couple of pieces of original programming, and they were all in sort of, or at least they were mostly in sort of the talk show mentality inside Mm -hmm. the actor's studio uh, was part of Bravo's lineup. Right. Um, So there was a very, uh, uh, it it was a network for sort of the intelligentsia. (laughs) But they had commercials, so it wasn't too highbrow. Um and uh, Fishing with John is a series in which John Lurie uh, fishes with different celebrity guests almost every week. There's one two-part yeah. episode. But other than that, different celebrity guests every week. And the and gimmick is no one in the show is a particularly good fisherman. They, they don't know the details of fishing. Yeah. the show. It, you would think that he, if he's going to pitch a fishing show, like he's going to be... <laughs> Walking his guests through the the minutia and you know the the shop of what it's like to fish because it's a complicated art from mm-hmm. what I understand I'm not a fisher yeah yeah you, but, it's, uh, it's the sort of thing that anyone can do badly but to do it well there's a lot that goes yeah, into it yes and but John Lurie isn't a fisherman and he seems to think that there's some sort of deep mist. A kind of uh, a, a, a vital part of the fabric of Americana to the very active fishing. I can't tell if but he genuinely all... believes that or if he's kind of taken the piss out of it, though. Well, because that's, the, that's the thing. There's this air of superiority, <laughs> this air of gravitas and drama mm-hmm. that goes into every single episode of Fishing with John. Uh, there's mm-hmm. a there's a narrator who sounds very uh, serious about mm-hmm. it. And, uh, John and Jim Jarmusch have entered the car and they're off to. Fish for sharks. But the, uh, also, I, I would love the, another piece of that sandwich. Like it's just sort of this really, mm. this mildly self-effacing, playful without being that kind of adult swim. You know, yeah. pay attention to me, I'm wacky kind of thing. The narrator is the only hint 
this show gives you that it's supposed to be at the the least bit satirical. There's a couple there's, of bits there's per, a per people, episode that are kind a, of bizarre. Like there's a scene, I think it's in the Matt Dillon episode, mm. where they have to ride horses to their destination where they're mm. going to go fishing. And there's a shot, like an intercut shot of the two horses they're about to ride. And it's just a still shot. And the narrator says, these are horses. And he offers no further information. Well, and, he'll, and, he'll just, and he'll have that, just that stentorian, very serious, mm-hmm. you know, the, the air of authority is just oozing out of this mm. person's uh, dulcet throat uh, as they do this narration. But they'll, he'll say, like, some ludicrous things sometimes. And he'll be like, uh, John and Matt... Having destroyed their automobile, must now <laughs> resort to horses. Mm-hmm. It's a dangerous well, land filled with uh, where, where where humanity and destiny collide, <laughs> and you're just sort of. It sounds good, but you are also you're, you're part of you is just disconnected enough to know this is ridiculous. Well, the, the end of the Willem Dafoe episode, and oh the beginning, God, so and the beginning of the Dennis Hopper episode have his best bits. But oh, we'll, we'll, we'll have get to talk to that. about that because they're, they're they're pretty phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the first episode of Fishing with John, and there's only six of these bad boys, um, <laughs> and what's so, a two parter? Yeah, yeah, and and again, this is not one of those ones where we're really going to be able to dissect a lot of plot. So well, we're probably going to do a can, lot of letters this episode. Well, <laughs> what we can do is try to dissect what this show is, because mm. this is unlike anything else. This is truly unique. Uh, at least at the time. I think there have been a few things that have tried to ape this since, but mm. I, I can't imagine. I didn't see this when it came out. I can't imagine running into this by accident in 1991. <laughs> I think I would have thought it was the second coming of Monty Python, but on chamomile. <laughs> like... So the first episode uh, is Montauk with Jim Jarmusch. Every episode is a location with famous person. That's the title. Yeah. Uh, and it opens with the narrator, Manhattan, June 22nd, the eyes of a fisherman. <laughs> so th- John Lurie picks up filmmaker Jim Jarmusch, mm. and they decide to go shark hunting. And a lot of the episode is about the preparation, including them driving... And Jim Jarmusch uh, uh, says, like, hey, uh-huh. what are the great fish movies? Jaws. And then they cut to the next scene. <laughs> That's all I can think of. It, it, there's Incredible a- Mr. Limpet, damn it. Come on. <laughs> I know a- Finding Nemo wasn't out yet, but geez. Here, here's a sample of the kind of conversation they have. It's like, okay, I can drive. I can drive. You want to drive? No. <laughs> they have... You, you put it this way... John Lurie, even though he knows several of the people uh, mm. personally uh, mm. who he's working with in this, no rapport whatsoever. With any of them. And no I'm one has sure like clever they're... dialogue or funny. Like, it's funny, but it's funny because it's it's awkward. <laughs> yeah, it's nothing but awkward silences, attempts to start conversation. Each of the people he talks to, A, they're really like laconic people. They're just not wordy types who have good story, except for maybe Dennis Hopper. Dennis Hopper. Dennis Hopper has, has some good bits, but, but, but for the most not, part, this is, these are not chatty people. They're, they're not you know prepped with stories. They're just sort of there. They start to have a conversation. I, I wonder it, if this is one of the it's few just holy, holy awkward throughout. I wonder if this is one of those few uh, uh, rare situations in which the outtakes are more uh, actively interesting than the actual show because they're obviously choosing to create this aesthetic and they do have 
John Lurie is an interesting person. Mm-hmm. A lot of these people are very interesting people. I've seen Jim Jarmusch in his own movies oh. give great stories and monologues. And he has this weird uh, monologue about a guy who, uh, wait, no, I think it was the Willem Dafoe episode. But like there are monologues about like guys with their arms bitten off by sharks and had to drive <laughs> home. <laughs> like, right, right. Like there are some funny bits. But for the most part, it feels like they they probably spent days hanging out and fishing with some of the most interesting people on the planet. And then they cut out all the interesting bits. <laughs> <laughs> they just left you with, and the majority of the day was a, was a bit brusque. <laughs> and th- there, there are other people around. You can tell yeah. that there's people who are experienced fishermen, but we don't ever see them. Well, we don't spend much don't, time with them, or they build like, like, well, like these like weird we, legends around them. Or yeah, or the narrator will say like, <laughs> I think it's also in the Matt Dillon episode where the their guide is turns out he's turning into a crane. Yeah, legend says looking. he can yeah. turn into a giant white bird. <laughs> they, this and will they, actually be important later. And, and they show footage of a giant white bird and say, "There he is. There's our there's our guide." <laughs> ah, there he is again. He has decided to return to his human form. So the first episode is just they 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 they, they travel to fucking Montauk mm-hmm. they get motel rooms and there's there's scenes that are so long just outside the motel rooms that my wife and I are watching I'm just like that's a rather spacious balcony like that's the only <laughs> that's the only observation we could possibly make right now well, if you're unfamiliar with Jim Jarmusch's work, yeah. he's the one who's famous for, uh, like, the characters will have a conversation that's really awkward. They'll leave the room and the camera will stay in the room for, like, yeah. s- several interminable seconds. John Lurie's definitely in the Jim Jarmusch school yeah, of yeah. filmmaking. Uh, and then they get out on a boat. And then they talk about how they might uh, be able to catch a shark. At one point, they acknowledge that they don't know how to catch a shark. And Jim Jarmusch holds a sandwich over the ocean while John Lurie points a gun just in case, <laughs> just in case a shark comes out and gets it. It's the sort of thing like two stoner guys from the city might do if they were asked to fish. It's like, well, I got baloney and I got a gun. I'll just hold the baloney over the water and I'll shoot the shark when it comes up. It's like something out of a Beavis and Butthead episode. It's all rejected ideas for an episode of I Love Lucy where where Ricky and Fred just end up fishing for the entire episode. It's like none of these are good enough to actually make a whole episode. We should probably come up with another gag where they come up with a, a bet with uh, with Lucy and Ethel, where who can catch the biggest fish, and they each buy a fish uh, at the supermarket. That's a real episode, by the way. I'm uh, but I've been watching a lot of I Love Lucy lately. Good for you. It's a good it's show. A good show. Uh, but uh, yeah, j- that. But Fred and Ricky don't talk to each other. That's my point. Like it's all and, like, and there's no plot otherwise. It's a writers' room where all of the writers are drawing a blank that day. That's every episode of Fishing with John. <laughs> <laughs> no one's got and, anything. And, and I'm wondering I'm wondering how scripted this was. Like, did John Lurie say, I have this great idea for a show and I need it to be like really awkward and I need us to not talk? Or did he really think that this was a good idea, that going out and fishing was going to be this very learning very learned learning experience. Did he think that he was going to have really interesting conversations and just didn't? I think he's being playful with it. I think mm. he's he's enjoying being laconic. I think mm. that's that's something very 
there's enough. You talk about uh, the uh, the narrator who, in the first episode, says important sounding things like "both fishermen are covered with sores and boners," and like <laughs> as right. if that's important. And there's no follow up. There's no explanation for what "covered in boners" means. But uh, so can, there's I that. Can give you one definition. There's a couple of bits where they're talking to someone off camera, and the person off camera in this first episode is like wawad, like uh, uh, like the the adults. The adults Brown yeah, cartoon. Yeah, yeah. yeah, like it's just there's all these little tiny well, and, and things. Not, just these little tiny bit. hints. Well, just, they, they did something to it. It's just like this weird musical note or something. No, it, it's it's, like, it's some it's somebody dubbing over like making funny noises. Like you're going like they're making a dog noise with yeah. their mouth. It's it's super and duper weird. It's either like an attempt at surreality or that was the best they could do to cover up an actor that they never got a release from. <laughs> Possibly both. It, it might be one I, of those. Yeah. It might be one of these things where it's these shows where it's so, just so it's it's sort of half acidness is so ingrained in the charm that it's hard mm. to tell when it's a brilliant comedic <laughs> setup or just kind of half assed and they're totally getting away with it. And you which, might, which which is admirable either way, kind of. Especially considering like if this was like a show that was supposed to be more dynamic than this, uh, they could that could never have worked. But because it's a fucking fishing show mm. uh you are allowed to sort of break with the tranquility and let it be kind of uh blase and and mm. odd um <laughs> at no, almost at almost no point in any of these uh, episodes do they actually catch fish it's pretty rare they they, they pull a whole, few out whole episodes yeah. go by where they don't i believe well the ice fishing episode we we the only food we see comes out of a package so. well they 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 catch a fish but it's too small so they have to put it back right yeah oh, they, right. they do pull a fish they're out big of on ice. catch and release i don't there's one bit where they eat a fish, and I believe it's in the ice fishing episode, but I'm pretty sure it's a dream sequence. <laughs> <So> <laughs> that one's hard to tell. That one's hard to tell. But uh, for the most part, it's it's all catch and release, which I actually do appreciate. Um, uh, there's a bit in the Dennis Hopper episode where they catch a stingray, and they don't know what to do. Yeah, yeah. There's like, like, oh, well, we have to put it back, but it would sting us. Mm. And they just start asking the camera guys, does anyone know what to do <laughs> with a stingray? <laughs> It's just it's it's hilarious. It's hilarious because these are like city kids who don't know what to do, and they're basing the show on their ignorance. Yeah, and and they're talking, but they're not talking about anything significant. They're fishing, but they're not actually fishing. Yeah. They're ostensibly engaged in some sort of action, but there's no action in the show. It's fascinating. They're. You could call it a satire, but a satire of what exactly? It doesn't, it doesn't play well, I like. Think, I think it's a fishing shows. Certainly, it's about. Certainly, it's of this sort it's, of. It's not this, really sending up fishing shows though, because fishing though. shows are just as relaxing as this. I don't. I think it is though. I think it's. I think it's sending up this idea of a. Uh, 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 Attaching great significance mm. to, to minor accomplishment, dull. to minor accomplishment, no, and so. and maybe if they were great fishermen, you could have gotten away with it. Mm. They're not, therefore, it is minor accomplishment. What what I think it is is rather than trying to play up the accomplishment or talk about you know you know making fun of what fishing is or the the actual art of it or the the way people film it is they're trying to essentially offer an antidote to all of TV as to what TV is supposed to be and indeed what entertainment is. They're kind of putting everything on ear. I think that highfalutin interpretation is why this is in the Criterion Collection. Exactly, exactly. There, there's, there's an art to the absolute 
nothingness of this show. My my observation while I was watching it was that this is a show that is as close to nothing you, as you can get before actually being nothing at all. Yeah, fuck you, Seinfeld. Fishing with John is where it's <laughs> Fishing all with John is the show that is about nothing. So Fishing with John is, is part of the Criterion Collection. Mm. Um, you can get all six episodes, there's some commentary tracks, mm. a music video. It's pretty light on special features for a Criterion Collection. Well, it's, it's one of the earlier ones. But what I, Yeah, but here's what I love about it. The Criterion Collection, if, if you don't know the Criterion Collection. They're a releasing, uh, they're a DVD releasing company, and they buy, they acquire the rights to distribute certain films. Sometimes only temporarily. So there are a lot of out of print Criterion films that are uh, uh, mm. hard to find, rather expensive, but usually worth the trouble. Um, and uh, they release many of the best films of all time, like they, most they, Akira Kurosawa films. They, they uh, release in America in Criterion. Yeah, or, they curate very carefully. They want to make sure that what if they release it, it's it, at the very least, worthy in the annals of film history. Yeah, it's either great mm. if you've never heard of it, or significant if you have. Yeah. There's a few exceptions on there. Some of the uh, so there's some Michael Bay movies that are sort of nebulously qualified. Yeah, well, Not sure why I, Armageddon is in Criterion, but and, and people, also Wes Anderson has a contract. And you know, Life with Aquatic the, with Steve Zissou is not that great a movie. I, I, I actually appreciated the Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou more after watching Fishing with John. Well, uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm like, I actually so. kind of get it more. Now. <laughs> um, but but here's my thing. The Criterion, first off, the Criterion collection started as a Laserdisc releasing company, mm. and they would release a whole bunch of blockbuster stuff. So that explains why the Michael Bay stuff is there. It was grandfathered in from their Laserdiscs. But uh, generally, since the DVD era, uh, they have been considered an arbiter of quality. If it's mm. on Criterion, it is worth watching. And I think it's noteworthy that when they put the numbers on the spine, you can sort of tell what was the highest priority for them. And Fishing with John is number 42. Mm. That's they're, they're really up, high. They got to this quick. They're, this they're, was they're up, yeah, they're, these days they're up to around eight hundred. I think. Yeah, so but they're, yeah, they're so. really high up there. But like forty-two, they got to this like way ahead they, they, of some well, of the most famous movies ever made. They needed to make sure this was seen, yeah. and I think it's important that this is seen because this is like anti-television. Yeah, we're. Um, we're, we're go- I remember hearing a story on This American Life a while back about a fellow who had this really wonderful idea, and his idea has been taken at this point, but uh, this was in sort of the early days of cable TV when everything was like really fast-paced and in-your-face, and there's a lot of really sensationalist talk shows, and uh, this fellow is watching all this TV and realizing that all of TV is meant to sort of hype you up and get you really high-strung and make you sort of feel energized it's all very action-oriented, and what he wanted was a show that was nothing but footage of puppies playing. Yeah. No narrator, the camera doesn't really do anything, but you know, you get a puppy that like tries to climb onto a couch, and you're riveted because it's just adorable. Yeah. And he saw something like that, something that is just slow, story-free, mm-hmm. relaxing, bromidic, if you will. Yeah. Uh, to be kind of an antidote to television. Sort of cute on a Scotsy. Uh, there you go. <laughs> Koi on a cutesy, I'd say. Um, but. Uh, Koi. This- Aw, Nascotsy. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> We're jackasses. Um, More Koi on a Scotsy now- jokes per episode than any other podcast <laughs> I listen to this week. Guaranteed. <laughs> That that idea of the puppies has been taken. There's a show out there called Too Cute, and it is yeah, just footage of I've, cute animals I, I, playing. And I'm going to throw it out there, having seen that show. It's a little too cute. It's a little too cute. <laughs> it's actually like, I think I did get diabetes watching that show. Like, it's a bit much. Like, honestly, like, scale it back. 
put in a little drama. Give me something because this is tur- too much. It turns out this kitten loves pepperoni. Oh, it's like it's like it's like when you get high and like you have that like paranoia <laughs> where like oh god, did I fuck up my taxes? Like what happened here? It's like. Or, or like you have this weird existential horror, like a, what if I could never leave this room? How weird would that be? <laughs> and then you're watching too cute when you're high, and you're just like, what if nothing will ever be not cute again? <laughs> what if this is it? I had hopes and dreams. I've there were seen... things that mattered to me once, and now there are only kittens. I have to watch a a, do- a dachshund puppy wearing a hot dog outfit. <laughs> And I feel like <laughs> this guy's idea to essentially create an antidote for TV is exactly what John Lurie was trying to do. He was trying to look so, yeah. at all of TV, which is even the fishing shows, which are very – no matter what you know, documentary filmmakers are trying to do, typically they try to construct some kind of narrative. Yeah. Even if it's something really broad, like Koyanis Katsi, they're trying to create some sort of broad arc uh, intellectual or even story-wise. Everything you're seeing is connected. Yeah. Everything you're seeing is going like, somewhere. Like Everything you're even, seeing is important. Even Frederick Wiseman's documentaries, which are typically just life, tend to have beginning, middle, and end. They do have sort of rising and falling action. Mm-hmm. All of that is essentially garbage to John Lurie. Right. He doesn't want anything that you can grasp onto deliberately. So what 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 is what is the I think he does play with that. He plays with it a little bit. There's a couple episodes that do have distinct narratives, especially the the Willem Dafoe episode. But uh, I think what he's trying to do is look for things that you can get your fingernails into and shave it all off. Yeah, by taking the single most innocuous type of TV program, the fishing show, and making it even more innocuous. Yeah, just taking all the bits that you would not put in the show, make that the show. Mm. Let's talk about the second episode. Because they, <laughs> uh, spoiler alert, they don't catch the shark. <laughs> no. Uh, we, a, we see a shark. We do see a shark once. Yeah. Uh, episode two is Jamaica with Tom Waits. This is the one where the they destroy their car and they take mm. a canoe. I, I just got that one wrong. Mm. Uh, but... Uh, this episode is, you can sense Tom Waits's frustration throughout the entire episode. Well, he does not want to be here for a podcast. You can tell he's not really interested in fishing. At all. He, I don't think he even really understands what John Lurie is doing. And every time he tries to tell a story, John Lurie kind of cuts him off and the story just dies on the vine. Yeah. There's scenes where Tom Waits is playing cards with the natives, and he looks more alive in those scenes <laughs> than he does in anything when he's fishing. Yeah, it's just they're 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 on they're in a canoe. Mm-hmm. They go walk up to this community in in Jamaica. They spend the night, mm-hmm. and they canoe up to a tugboat, which is this rust bucket. <laughs> like I I would be afraid to touch anything on this thing for fear of getting tetanus. Like it's a really gross looking mm. vessel. And then they 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 fish for a while. They don't catch anything. Tom Waits gets seasick and then they stop. And then they try it again. They don't catch I think they might catch something once. I think they and catch Tom a Waits, small fish. And then or, Tom yeah. Waits like puts it down his pants for no reason whatsoever. I, I think he's just bored. I think he's What's so something bored. to happen in the show. And they just and then they don't even end it. They just sort of the episode just sort of stops. <laughs> and apparently Tom Waits allegedly Tom Waits was so like annoyed with me with this episode and how it all turned out mm. that he didn't talk to John Lurie for two years. <laughs> That's the way the story goes. Oh, Tom Waits. Yeah, there's a great bit where they're I, singing. I thought we them. were going to do something, man. There's a great bit where they're canoeing down mm-hmm. like a, a river or an inlet, I don't know, in, in, in Jamaica. And Tom Waits is like 
starts like a sea chanty. And that's what I want from hanging out with Tom Waits. I want to so, hang out with Tom Waits in some sort of situation where singing naturally follows. <laughs> I, you want to you want to be like rowing a boat. You want to be or, or herding like, cattle. You want to be breaking rocks while wearing stripes. You know? Yeah, or, or at the very least, you want to be in the back corner of a dive tavern mm-hmm. in the 1940s. Yeah, like, that's yeah, yeah. where you want to be hanging out with John with with, with Tom Waits. With Tom that's, Waits that's, yeah. that's 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 the fantasy. <laughs> that's that's my dream. There, there has to be a lot of tobacco and whiskey involved. I will. I, yeah, basically, you're, 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 what, wherever you meet Tom Waits, your clothes will smell after it. In order to hang Hang out with Tom Waits. You must bring a carton of cigarettes. Yeah, that, 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 it's yeah. like it's like your voodoo sacrifice. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a f- uh, an ex coworker of mine, his mom used to date Tom Waits. Wow, like, like long time ago, like before he was a pop star. That's long, long time amazing. ago. And she dumped him because he smoked too much. Oh, I can see. The- <laughs> but what a voice! <laughs> you know what? what he, a sacrifice he, 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 made. he has cultivated that. He, he's earned that. Decades of chain smoking and eating nothing but castor oil has given him the most wonderful singing voice and speaking voice honestly he's this incredible graveling voice it's not worth it to smoke to get Tom Waits's voice, you know what? but Tom Waits made his choice. We, you know, and, and and he owned it, and his voice is pretty amazing. We have Tom Waits already. We do have Tom Waits. You do not. <laughs> you need don't to need smoke. to do it. We're again. not endorsing yeah. it at all. The next episode uh, is uh, Costa Rica with Matt Dillon, and the story goes apparently uh, that uh, John Lurie wanted to get Flea from Red Hot Chili Peppers for this episode, <laughs> but the investors said he wasn't a big enough name, so they got Matt Dillon, who John Lurie didn't know very well. So mm. they're they especially have little to talk well, but about. Th- this is Matt Dillon in 1991. So it was uh, was this even before Drugstore Cowboy? What was he known for at this he was, point? He was the, the Passion Fish and the Outsiders. Oh, well, he guess, was a name. Oh, I guess, yeah, the uh, my, uh, my Bodyguard, I think that was him. Was it something Bodyguard, right? Wasn't he? Was he? Uh, played like a kid's bodyguard in high school or some shit like that? I didn't actually uh, see that I one. Don't, I don't remember that. He movie. was someone's bodyguard. I'm sure he was. The point is, Matt Dillon he, was a name. I knew who Matt Dillon was at that okay. time. He, he was, and this was like when he was a young stud. So yeah. he... he John Lurie is kind of a gangly looking guy. He looks he, he looks he, like a uh, he looks uh, like a character from a Jim Jarmusch movie. He looks like he the looks mini like. me version of Carl Stroiken. Yeah, from, a lot. From the Adams Family and Twin yeah. Peaks. Like he just looks like a like a like like mm. a before the 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 the, the giant ray mm. hit him in some mad scientist <laughs> laboratory, and then a- afterwards you get Carl Stroiken. He, he looks like the kind of guy Basil Wolverton would have loved to have drawn. <laughs> And uh, and he he hangs out with Jim Jarmusch, who's kind of an odd looking guy. He's got that gray flat top, and yeah. and you know Tom Waits, who looks like Tom Waits, Willem Dafoe, who's you know handsome but strangely featured. Yeah, he's he's got an odd appearance in general, and uh, and, and uh, so it's kind of weird to see Matt the, Dillon. Matt Dillon. These are like outsidery kind Matt of Dillon guys. Should have been doing like John interest, Stewart's yeah. MTV talk show. Like that's where Matt Dillon lives yeah, right now. Yeah, this yeah. is Matt Dillon is not Bravo material right now. But here's the thing: Matt Dillon is not, even though he's handsome and he's a young sort of up, hotshot, up and coming star at that point. He's not any more chatty or gregarious than any of the other people. I think he Matt is Dillon, equally laconic. I think Matt Dillon was game for this, and I do appreciate mm. that about Matt Dillon. So in this episode, uh, they go to Costa Rica, and the the plot that they give them mm. 
is that they go to meet this like wise fishing sage who sits them down and explains that before you fish in these waters you have to uh, do a dance you have to do a dance you have to a dance to appease the pain of the fish and there's this great bit where he gives this whole speech and i expect them to like to like nod and go i didn't understand a word he said uh. instead gently said i only understood some of it yeah <laughs> and he just pulls some bullshit out their ass and they have to do this long Dance, or they just say, ah, oh, okay, they, I guess just we have to. And they just sort of jerk around spasmodically. They're they, just making up a fish dance. Yeah, and they just, it goes on and on and on. This is the one where one of their guides supposedly turns into a bird. And then <laughs> they're just, they're just fishing. At one point, like they, the narrator says some, like, what is, I didn't write it down. The narrator says something, like, really, you know, like, portentous mm-hmm. about uh, the fish and the pain of the fish and all of the dangers of the sea and then it just cuts to Matt Dillon looking at John Lurie he's like you want some Fanta? <laughs> <laughs> and then John Lurie has like one sip of Fanta and then uh, uh, that, that scene reminded me of the last scene of uh, the, the Doom Generation and then, never saw that awful movie and then Matt Dillon gets bored and that's the plot is that Matt Dillon's bored are we gonna not fish anymore? was this was all of this dancing not worth it? Was your maybe your heart wasn't in it, Matt Dillon? Maybe that was the problem. Maybe you didn't believe. And then, basically, I, they just they found it all in the editing room. They just said, uh, "But that's when the dance magic kicked in." Yeah. <laughs> and there's a bunch of like crazy, like backwards, backwards shots of birds flying, and then the guy turns into the bird, and they're all just sort of dancing around. And, and it's, it's all it. like the, the cheapest video toaster effects, like stuff I could have done in high school. Yeah, like this is a Final Cut Pro project. Yeah, yeah, yeah. in like a, in like an extracurricular class, and um, and then they this do a bunch sh- of dancing. This was all shot on beta by the way so it's not even good looking stuff it's well, not like I mean it looks okay like it's well, I mean, for the it's, time for shows that were shot on video it's, yeah, it looks but, fine it's nice my, locations my point, my point is it's not like sun dappled photography you know shot on film this is shot on a not a consumer grade a professional grade but still beta so it looks but, like the news but credit where credit is due they they went to these locations and locations yeah, they are did beautiful actually go to the location. and uh, honestly but like, are, I've, I've only fished a couple of times in yeah. my life and it made me want to go fishing again just because that looks like a nice place to hang out for I was a about while. to say but they're they're not beautiful they find like they go to Jamaica and they find like just dingy spots and dirty beaches you don't find that tranquil you know I, 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 I look at all of these like because there's a couple of bits like the Dennis Hopper one where you see these like really amazing like touristy kind of cliffs and uh but like honestly just i've always liked when uh whenever i have had the opportunity to travel Mm. you know okay here's all the touristy stuff and it's great and that's touristy stuff for a reason it's wonderful but if i have the time i like going everywhere else yeah yeah. i like going to places that are just like a little bit different (laughs) from Mm. where i normally live because i feel like that's that's the real location like we've all like if you live in any sort of town or or country or whatever where they have touristy spots think about how rarely you go to them if you live there yeah that's not your life for instance that's not your life there las vegas is a hole (laughs) if you want if you wander off the strip just a little bit there's not a lot i i go i don't go to santa monica pier all the time Mm. i don't go to i only go to like grauman's chinese because it's where i go for work yeah, yeah like yeah. it's actually like really kind of out of the way and parking is expensive like it's 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 not a common trip when, when, a, when a here's a little uh insider baseball for critics when a studio says and there's going to be a, a screening it's at 7 p.m mm-hmm. and it's in hollywood all at, wa- dies. all at once all of the critics in los angeles say fuck you <laughs> Because it is impossible to get into Hollywood by 7 p.m. Because <laughs> you, you will leave 
If you, you leave, leave it, if you leave it three, you'll get there by four. If you leave it four, you'll get there by five thirty. If you get there, if you leave it five, you won't get to the screening in time. Like, <laughs> it's like that's how bad the traffic yeah, is. It sucks. Like there's seven p.m. No, no. Why? And, it, and there's no, there's no like centralized location either. So like, there, I know a lot of people who live. There's a lot of people who, who live in like Hollywood. Mm. And that's pretty centrally located. You can get through everything more or less okay, but yeah, there's but, always some shit. People live in Burbank are really happy whenever there's a screening at like the Disney Studios mm. or at the AMC in Burbank. But then there's a bunch of screenings they'll have on the West Side at the AMC Century City, uh-huh. and they they hate that because they have to take forever to get there. Meanwhile, and I'm like that every time I have to go to the ArcLight, yeah, which yeah, sucks, which is so hard. To- Getting to the arc light by seven p.m. on any night of the week. Me- I had to- Meanwhile, we live on the west side, so if they have something like over on Olympic anywhere, this is we're I getting missed, off. On I missed the here. screening this week at the Fox Lot. This is so in- the no Fox Lot is like a mile yes. and a half from us. I know you can walk there. I in could have forty minutes. I know, and it took me like an hour to get there because traffic was so bad, and I missed yeah. the screening. Jeez, just walk. I could, I, in get retrospect, a, I should have get a, get a bike, get one of those little hoverboards. Ah, I got a bad knee. Yeah, get a hoverboard. They're, they're they're for bad knees. They have bad knee hoverboards. Yeah, you, you, you they're all uh, calf and ankle activated. Can hoverboards uh, uh, go on water? Unless they have not unless they have power. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we're off on a tangent, and that's appropriate. That's that's actually a more interesting conversation than anything going on at fishing with John. Anyway, the and, next episode is the Willem Dafoe yeah, episode, Maine with Willem Dafoe, and it opens with this like kind of dramatic, almost James Bond shot. Of John Lurie and Willem Dafoe tricked out in like snow gear, riding up to the middle of a fucking frozen tundra, mm-hmm. uh, and they're like, going ice fishing. Yeah, they, but they just they get out. It looks all badass. They pull off their masks, and it's just Willem Dafoe and John Lurie. And I love the version of Willem Dafoe that Willem Dafoe is playing in this episode. Yeah, Willem Dafoe is is so weird. Has decided to like pick a role this time. Like he's he's picked a, a version of a fictional version of Willem Dafoe and. He's trying to tell a lot of goofy stories. Mm-hmm. I think he's, he's being very friendly f- to the point of being uncomfortable. Like yeah, like he, he suggests they zip their sleeping bags together and he's he's like really it's flirting like, with John Lurie specifically to make him uncomfortable. But it's not like he never crosses the line into being super creepy. He's just saying these things or it's just like I don't want to have this conversation with you. Yeah, just, yeah. This is not the time. <laughs> Willem Dafoe. I, I feel like you're probably saying it completely innocently, but you also didn't have to bring it up. <laughs> it's really weird what and, you're and doing right now. This version of Willem Dafoe also fancies himself kind of an outdoorsman, but you can tell he has no idea what he's talking about. They go to it's this- like, yeah, this is what they do when they ice fish. It's like, you don't know what you're talking about, Willem Dafoe. There's, so they, they go out into the middle of this icy tundra and they bring these planks of wood so that they can like they build create, a, a hut, build a little hut. Yeah. And there's this, they, they manage to find a piece of wood with like a window in it and they like put it up and then it just the window opens and Willem Dafoe pops in like a neighbor on a sitcom. Hey, John, <laughs> got the window working. <laughs> it's like he, he's he, what he, I think he's trying to get it like. A, a giggle. He's trying to make John Lurie laugh, and John Lurie like never cracks a smile once throughout this entire se- series. I love Willem Dafoe so fucking much. 
I interviewed Willem Dafoe. He was a delight. And, and <laughs> he's such a cool guy. He's a bit of a nutcase in this show, but he's just a talented guy. Yeah. And he, he, Willem Dafoe is a treasure. Those, but one of, Willem Dafoe is one of those actors who he's very diverse and he's, he's done a lot of different kinds of roles. People like to think of him as the creepy guy or the villain because that's mm-hmm. where he made a lot of his early successes. Bobby Peru, for goodness sake. Oh, well, so, well, yeah. Wild at even before that, he got to live and die in L.A., which is fantastic. Yeah, well, yeah, Streets yeah. of Fire, which has a huge cult following. <laughs> but, like, he's also just, he, when he plays like a normal guy, like, I always love that, like, in Platoon, he played mm. like the Zen guy. Yeah, yeah. It's so great. So it, when you see, or, or like, he, he's, a, he's like, I think he's my favorite on screen Jesus in The Last Temptation mm. of Christ. He's Sorry. fantastic in that movie. <laughs> He's like my when I think of Jesus as a character, that's usually what I zero in on okay. is that version. So just to see him play a goofy putz <laughs> is just such so fucking great. Well, I think this is right before Wild at Heart too. So this is him Around like there, yeah. kind of on the cusp. He was on the rise at this point. People knew who he was again. He was a relatively known. Yeah. I mean, Last Station of Christ was a big movie. Yeah, I guess that. Yeah, um, but uh, that was what that was eighty eight. Late eighties. Late eighties. Yeah. 80s, yeah. So, Willem Dafoe and John Lurie are going ice fishing. They're not very good at it. Uh, and they run out of cheese crackers. Well, and then they can't catch any fish. And the gag is they're starving to death. Yeah. And then the end of the episode ends. And they die. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the narrator. Like, there's a still shot of just the frozen lake. And the narrator says, you know, having, having run out of cheese crackers and unable to catch fish. John Lurie and Willem Dafoe starve to death. And then they roll the credits. <laughs> and then the next episode, which is episode five, oh. uh, Thailand with Dennis Hopper, part one. Uh, it's a bunch of like uh, exterior shots of Thailand. Mm. And then John De- Lurie. De- well, Dennis Hopper's getting off a plane, so he's clearly yeah. going somewhere. And then they cut to John Lurie, and the narrator says, I made a mistake. John, John Lurie, Lurie survived. <laughs> I made a mistake. I love the idea because this is again, this is before DVRs, this is before most TV shows were on home video. Mm. You just there's a really, really good chance that this was someone's first episode <laughs> of Fishing with John, and that's like the first line of dialogue they hear is I made a mistake. <laughs> John, John Lurie survived. survived. <laughs> like did, did I miss the opening? No, that's that's the opening of the show. And uh Dennis Hopper seems like he, I, it's pro- appropriate that this is the two-part episode because yeah. he seems the most engaged with what is happening. In Dennis this Hopper show. likes to tell stories. Yeah, yeah, I really wish I could have met Dennis Hopper. Dennis yeah. Hopper, like it's you know, you, you, and, and boy, boy, howdy, did he have some stories? Oh my god, he's so great. So the gag, so the story of this one is they're going to Thailand because they want to catch, to be the first people ever to catch a live giant squid, which did actually eventually happen, I mm. believe. Um, and. Uh, they don't know if giant squid will be around there. They literally yeah. say giant squid could be anywhere. Maybe here. Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> so it's basically just them mm. wandering around. Uh, and uh, there's this great bit where John Lurie tries to tell Dennis Hopper that Dennis Hopper died at the end of Easy Rider. And Dennis Hopper's like, no, I'm pretty sure I didn't. Oh, I, <laughs> it's, 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 his, it's his move. Well... He's clearly like walking something back, and again, this is another instance where I'm not sure if Dennis Hopper is trying to like make John Lurie laugh or trying to like play a gag on him, or if Dennis Hopper actually believes this. Possibly both. Because in, Den- in in Easy Rider, and this he points his points spoiler this out. alert. Surely you've seen Easy Rider. You know how just that one throwing ends. it out there. Yeah, it doesn't end well for the main characters. I'll say no that. One. 
<coughs> re- re- but, but his theory is that is because that you didn't Dennis actually like, see like the the, the, the body, the, like yeah. the body or like the breath leave Dennis Hopper's body, maybe he survived. That could do exactly. a whole sequel. It's like well. <laughs> Well, but they they shot you both. Well, no, you saw that one character die. You didn't see the Dennis Hopper character die. You were shot. You didn't see me die. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was actually looking up uh, Easy Rider as a result of that conversation, and I I was reminded of the 2012 prequel that somebody made to oh, Easy Rider. What the fuck? Yeah, like they actually owned the rights to the film. Somehow oh it God. slipped into their hands. That sounds horrible. And they made this really awful. I think it was called like Easy Rider colon The First Ride or something. Oh my god! Lines. See, that sounds like a TV movie someone would have made yeah. in 1975, and, uh, starring like God. I don't even know who they get for that. Like Martin Sheen before he was Martin Sheen. You know, or it's called Easy Rider: The Ride Back. Excuse oh me, god. from 2012. It was an an official because it was owned by the guy who had the rights. Yeah. It's an official prequel. And it has Jeff Fahey in it. Okay, that sounds about yeah, that's, right. That's yeah, that's the sounds, level you want. That's that's Michael Norrie is in it, or yeah. Rance Howard is in it. All of these things sound right. Michael mm. Norrie, wow. Yeah. That's perfect. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly right. <laughs> that's insane. So they go uh, to catch a giant squid. Mm. Uh, apparently, again, this is all allegedly, but uh, apparently Dennis Hopper was high on sugar the whole time, which is why he was a little manic. Um well, uh, th- this this is ninety one, so he's already off the drugs. I hope so. Um, well, he he got clean like supposedly it, 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 back know. in the early eighties. I'm not his biographer. Well, I'm, I'm and neither to, yeah. are you. I'm not, but I I know he was. Uh, you know his he, he was he was into substances for a while. Oh yeah, and they, that, no, that, everyone knows that. He, and they, he they made, yeah, that, and like, and uh, he got clean, and that's kind of what gave yeah. him a boost in his career. But Be- you can tell Blue they, Velvet and River's Edge, you kind of got a, a boost. You can tell that for one reason or another, he has become quite the eccentric. <laughs> and honestly, just watching Dennis Hopper just hang out and do funny faces while people talk is just <laughs> it's so fucking great. And this is around the time he was doing shit like Super Mario Brothers the movie by the way so like he was just at an interesting point in his career yeah and he was like free free trip to Thailand to fish sure done <laughs> sold well and you know Dennis Hopper is so savvy about the way movies operate you know he made Easy Rider for goodness sake so you know he's in on the joke and I think he just doesn't care with with John Lurie he's just sort of you know I know this is supposed to be kind of awkward I'm just going to try to fly in the face of this thing that's trying to fly in the face of things. But he's so he's so great because he'll say shit. He'll say shit that like your half crazy uncle will say, mm. and it'll be like really funny because your crazy uncle said it. But then if you said it to anyone else, it sounds stupid. <laughs> like they, they pass by this incredible cliff face. This is mm. gorgeous rock formation, natural, amazing. And Dennis Hopper says, "This couldn't be anywhere but in Asia or wherever we are." He's <laughs> <laughs> like, Asia. Like he's not sure. You go to another continent by mistake. It's not Australia, for goodness' sake. <laughs> They uh, so they try to catch a giant squid. Obviously, they don't, and, but they, the, and they don't know how or what to do. What they don't would, have the right do equipment. They, they don't even like, know how to get a fucking. They're like all in, kind of a stingray, like, like in rowboats and stuff. Yeah. They don't know how to get a giant squid. But the gag is that supposedly the giant squid, which has like eyes the size of volleyballs, mm. uh, can hypnotize you. So the gag that they do to try to give this sort of some dramatic resolution is that there was a giant squid, but it hypnotized them and they don't remember <laughs> seeing it. <laughs> and they clearly don't know anything about giant squid. Not a even. goddamn thing. Giant squid, by the way, you know, 
you think of a giant squid and you think of the cover of They Might Be Giants Apollo 18. Which or, got the, or, or the 20,000 20, Leagues Under the Sea where it's so yeah. big it's like, like it could sinking s- a swallow a whole submarine. Yeah. Which is my image of a giant squid and it's fucking horrifying yeah. to me. Giant squid I believe are only about like three or four feet long. There's some bigger ones. The, they can get pretty huge I've, but on average you know squid are really tiny and a giant squid is you know a, as big as a man. It's not huge. Yeah it's, it's alarmingly large. Large, yeah, but it's, it's not. It's, it's not, not a leviathan. Swallow. Yeah, it's not going to swallow a three-masted sailing. It's ship. not going to fight Godzilla and win. Like it'll, it'll Godzilla would be like, oh, look at that. Yeah, munch. Like, I, I, just I, pick it up and eat it. Put it on a rice roll is what he'd do. Um, but even so, uh, they're they're notoriously hard to catch, um, and and very rare. Mm. On top of it, um, so uh, so they don't catch the giant squid. Mm. Uh, then they go to a restaurant, uh, and uh, Dennis Hopper uh, sends his smoothie back because it has ice in it. <laughs> There's a lot of time in diners in this two-part episode. <laughs> Just sort of hanging out. And then the episode ends. Oh, we, we didn't mention how the Matt Dillon episode ends, where they, they sort of go to a... St- a city street and talk about how this was a big failure. And then they just sort of, they do, well, they do the dance. They again. do the dance and then they dance in that's the it. street and that's it. <laughs> it's not even it was fishing related. None of it's fishing. Really. No. Um, I want to go fishing with John. <laughs> I'm going to throw that out there right yeah. now. I, I'm, I'm still debating whether or not I think this show was canceled too soon. I feel like six episodes is kind of perfect. I don't know if this one lasted a hundred episodes, well, it's, how it could have possibly continued. It's like one of those ones like Police Squad where, it, yeah, if you got more of it, it would have ruined the spell. Yeah. Um, I mean, it would have been nice to maybe have a few more, but like, I think we're fine. We're, we're totally fine. And I, I think this is kind of a brilliant program. <laughs> I really enjoyed watching just the, the complete nothingness of it all. Yeah. It is a fascinating, fascinating object. And it's really they, relaxing. It's really fun. It's, it's so relaxing. Chill. It's fun. It's funny. It, yeah. And it's baffling in a really pleasing sort of way. Yeah. It's really it's amiable. A, it's a, adult use. swim without the manicness. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. Like adult swim has kind of cornered the market on this sort of, Non sequitur, esoteric, Absurd, sort of absurdism, absurdism, mm. like very, very almost Dadaism. If you mm. go to something like Tim and Eric, and, and listen, that's great, and there's a place for that, but they do not trust their audience not to change the channel. Yeah, they don't. They will do everything they can to keep you there. And there was a time when I was younger when I was totally fine with that. Mm. But when I like, if I'm flipping through channels now and I catch the Squid Billies, I'm just I cannot click another channel fast <laughs> enough. I can't, no, thank you. Even some like Aqua Teen Hunger Force, mm. which has episodes that have blown my mind in the past because they were so funny. Mm. Uh, it's it's just like it's shrill is what it's, it is. It's an assault on the brain. I, yeah. I mean that. I mean like it's like pouring salt on your brain. Like that's it's it, it, you're feeling it. It's it's immediate. It's right there, but I, you I, don't like it anymore. And the one that still holds up is Space Ghost Coast to Coast, which has a very similar vibe. Well, I was thinking yeah. this a lot. You invite celebrities in, you have a little fun with them, you edit around what they actually said in order to make the episode mm. funnier, even if it doesn't make the celebrity <laughs> look good, and then you move on. <laughs> one of their special guests was Ashley Judd, and they spent so much of the episode messing around that they only had like three seconds to include Ashley Judd's sequence. I don't remember and, that. And all. the only thing she said is, I can bake really good chocolate pies. 
And they played that. They played her saying that twice in a row, and then they cut the. That was the end of the episode. You remember the one where Bjork was there, but she wasn't a guest. She was Space Ghost's like wife. Yeah, like he he tried to marry her. Like he married her, but now she says she she won't let him off the phone while he's trying to interview people. Yeah, <laughs> it's so great. But that's the sort of thing. It's like Space Ghost Coast to Coast was like super bizarre and and it had a lot of non sequiturs, but it also wasn't really in a rush. There no, was a lot, they, no, no, no. They, they were just making it up. They were making it up, and they were able to be kind of chill. And that's why I really loved Space Ghost, because there was something very comforting about it. Like, mm-hmm. I, it, it's almost like um, there was a school of sort of absurdist TV humor that did feel like it really did spawn off of that PBS and Bob Ross stuff. Mm-hmm. Even you look at, like, the early Mystery Science Theater 3000s, we like to think of them well, as being the- manic and quippy and think of the movies, but you think of the host segments, and they're very chill. Like, yeah. Joel was very uh, sleepy and just inviting and in to- and taught you stuff about stuff like chroma key yeah. or or foley or <laughs> what it's like to be buried like it was just something that was just it was just really just welcoming and inviting and that's what fishing with john has it is welcoming it is inviting and it when it's even when it's at its most utterly bizarre it's never off-putting mm. which i appreciate it- it's it's like a diner that you love to go to, even though the food sucks. Uh, there's that diner down the street on the corner of Pico and Bundy, which is one of those. It's absolutely terrible, but every time I've ever sat in there, I've overheard an amazing conversation with someone on their cell phone. Is this Ray's Diner? Or, or? I think it's Teddy's. Teddy's. No one cares. Like it's. Yeah, I've never seen more than three people there in my life. Like it's. But it's. And the food is is not that great. But like every time, it's just the ambiance. It just feels mm. like this is not Los Angeles. Like people like <laughs> some the, teleport from some weird wacky town, scooped up from like a suburb of Detroit or yeah, something. I don't know. Like some weird fucking sitcom that got canceled too soon. It's just like they're just teleport here, and then once they like when they leave the diner, they like evaporate in a shitty video toaster effect. <laughs> You know, it's like Nightmare Cafe, but without the nightmare part. It's just cafe. <laughs> just cafe. It's pretty great. I might be getting the name of it wrong. And I don't mean to slander the establishment at all. It's just not a particularly good oh, diner. And, don't like and it just food. has weird ambiance. And I love it so much. Yeah, F- Fishing with John is that diner, the show. Yeah. Where you, you, you go in there, you have a conversation that doesn't really go anywhere. Yeah. You don't like the food that much, but you leave and you're like, yeah, I'll go back. Fishing with John is what I, is what I dream of my retirement being. <laughs> now, obviously, it's a dream because in this economy, I will never be allowed to retire. But like <laughs> Retirement? What's that? But like just the idea of what you're going to do today. Fish. Oh, you're gonna, what are you going to do? We're going to try to catch a shark. This is Northern California inland. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, we got to dry. I like, that you've, I like that you've retired to Northern California, too. <laughs> Northern California. It's pretty cool. Um, spent a lot of time there with my dad on his motorcycle rides. Um, but, yeah. So fishing with John, uh, it's a magical, magical thing. Yeah, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say it was canceled too soon. Not that I think it needed 100 episodes, but I would have liked a handful more. Okay, just like some more of Rod Lurie, of Rod Lurie's, John Lurie's weirdo friends. Uh, John Lurie ran in Jarmusch's circles. He knew a uh, lot of cool people. Can you imagine? A- can you imagine uh-huh. fishing with John? The Roberto Benini. I was about to say he would have gotten Roberto Benini at some point. That would have been fantastic. It would have been nice to have some women on the show. Yeah, it's it's a lot of white dudes. Yeah, it's Mm -hmm. a lot of white dudes. I'm trying to think like 
who is in that circle. Like, yeah, but you know, also we would have got we would have had Iggy Pop at some point. That would have been cool. I'm not sure if this was the quite the sweet spot where we would have had Bill Murray. This mm-hmm. is I think before he started working with Jim Jarmusch. I mean, it doesn't have to be just Jim Jarmusch. I mean, like because uh, uh, Willem Dafoe was from uh, Last Temptation at Christ. Oh, yeah. So like you can get David Bowie. <laughs> the David Bowie episode would be fucking legendary. I'd love to see like Barbara Hershey. Barbara um, Hershey would have been cool. Maybe Harvey Cartel. Well, like and after he did Get Shorty and shit, you know, you'll have people like but not like the good people from Get Shorty. Not that they're not good, but not, like, not like, like the big names. You get like John Grease from Get Shorty Del- and like Lindo, Real Genius. Yeah, yeah. Oh my god, Delroy Lindo would be great. <laughs> I want to go fishing with Delroy Lindo so bad. More than Delroy Lindo, Dennis Farina would have been a great that episode. That would have been a cool yeah. episode. That would have been a cool episode as well. Get Shorty is so good. Okay, he did Clay pigeons the janine garofalo episode <laughs> imagine she, she would have garofalo. been so pissed off if, imagine janine garofalo fishing and try not to laugh i fucking dare you <laughs> thank yeah. you everyone who yeah, you suggested want, you want me to get in a fucking boat you want me to get in a fucking boat <laughs> no thank you everybody who suggested <laughs> fishing with john i'm so glad we discussed this is one of my favorite discoveries of the year so far uh and uh, thank you in particular to everybody who uh, mm. uh donated it um so uh this is this has been a delight i'm so glad we did it yeah me too it's me it too. really it really was a bright spot on an otherwise very trying week in a lot of ways <laughs> it's been a rough if you, have you seen the news yeah Maybe like one been, good thing and a lot of shit uh, yeah yeah <laughs> it's been real bad well that's good news oh no <laughs> By the way, uh, uh, this is the only podcast not owned by Disney right now. <laughs> yes. Um, if you've been if you've been wondering, um, I mean, there's a lot of weird shit going on with uh, Patreon or net neutrality, and well, I want to say something real fast. Patreon walked it back. I know, and I want to thank because I've been keeping an eye on it, and we've been waiting to find out a little bit more before we made like some big announcement because we we could have taken this somewhere else if that was the case. Yeah. Um, pretty much everyone stayed with us. I know a lot of people lost their Patreon subscribers, and I don't blame them for mm. that. Uh, but a, a, for everyone who stayed with us, who is a Patreon subscriber at patreon.com slash canceled too soon, um, we thank you so much. It means so much that you really want to keep contributing to the show. You're willing to stick with that fee increase for at least a little bit. It was really cool. Yeah. So, yeah. You, you guys are all you. awesome. You're all great. We're thank so you. happy to have all of your subscribers. And if you're not a subscriber, you can, you, you can be, but even if you're not, we're just glad that you're listening. Look, here, here's the deal. I Patreon for $5, uh, uh, a month uh you can contribute in our polls you mm. can uh, help pick a different uh tv series for us to review every single month uh we get the episode of the cancel too soon monthly movie uh we also have exclusive videos merchandise we're gonna uh by the end of the year we're gonna take a look at some of our perks maybe change some things up make mm. sure we can get more to you uh in a timely manner maybe see if we can spice it up find out some other cool things we can do for you guys yeah, yeah, yeah. uh so keep an eye out for that uh, if you have any suggestions anything you'd like perk wise let us know um but uh so that's that's all there and that's great but if you can't afford to contribute totally fine but here's what you can do if you want to help us out subscribe if you haven't already that really helps us out a lot whatever service you listen to us on whether it's itunes stitcher whatever uh leave us a review yeah Uh, the more reviews we get, the more people see it because obviously we have an audience yeah. who's engaged. We, we, it's just that simple. We love your donations, of course, but yeah, uh, yeah leaving a review like makes us more visible in those systems, so uh, yeah. more people can find. And and even if you've already done that, or if that seems like a lot of work, I totally get it. Uh, tell a friend. Yeah. Tell one friend. Just tell. Hey, have you heard about the show? It's neat. 
There you know, you know, what am I supposed to listen to on my commute? Get, get, right on, get on Twitter. Say, hey, I'm listening to this podcast. That'd be Great. nice. Yeah. Anyway, and we are on Twitter, right, Rick? At Cancelled Cast. And I'm Matt William Bibiani. And he's I'm at Whitney at Seibold. Whitney Seibold. Let's, um, let's read some letters. Yeah, we, it's, again, it's a relatively uh, short episode. Relatively. Um, so, again, our email is cancelledtosoon at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. A lot of people send us suggestions, but we also get people who watch these shows when they were on the air, want to respond to some of the dumb things we've said on any given episode, and let's uh, get started. In, in, the case, in this case, this is somebody watching a show at our behest, which is never a wise thing to oh, do. Why would you do that? Uh, this is from Richard. Hello, Richard. Hello. Uh, greetings from the hinterlands of Minnesota. Ooh. I found your... Uh, good, good morning. Hmm, hi. Uh, I found your podcast a couple of months ago, and uh, as I am wont to do, started listening from the first episode and been working my way to the present. The most recent show I've completed was The 100 Lives of Blackjack Savage, Ooh. which is legendary at this point. One of our best. And I can verify that it was indeed a thing. <laughs> I do remember it was a show that I did watch, but I couldn't have told you anything about it, and it left no impression on that part, or that part of my brain has been fried due to many drugs and or alcohol. I was very surprised to learn that the show aired in 1991. If you asked me, I would have guessed it was from the early 80s, which was squarely in the prime of my television-watching days. It's so far That I remember that I watched it means that I was in my second year of college and should have been more interested in getting drunk, experimenting with drugs, and trying to pick up any member of the opposite sex that had a pulse. That I was spending any time watching this crap means that my late teen years were sadder than I remember. (laughs) Anyway, I wanted to know that someone did watch it when it originally aired, though I probably couldn't tell you how many episodes I sat through, probably more than I care to remember. Mm-hmm. Your show is excellent, and I'll, I'll, I always eagerly await a new episode. Yeah, well, the 100 Lives of Blackjack Savage. Thank you, by the way, for writing. The 100 Lives of Blackjack Savage is the show that I am most proud that we've reviewed. Yeah. Because yeah. we plucked it out of a hat. It was perfect timing because <laughs> by sheer accident, we reviewed it on the week of Donald Trump's inauguration, and the show turned out to be... About Don- a, a Donald Trump type. Yeah, yeah, about a Donald Trump. Like it, They modeled entirely after the persona, public persona of Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. And if you haven't heard that episode, it is a show about... Donald Trump, basically, mm. uh, buying a haunted mansion in the Caribbean and teaming up with the ghost of a rapping black pirate to solve crimes using a sci-fi superboat. That's and a real thing. The, the title is based on the uh, attrition of the ghost. Yeah, the ghost needs to save 100 mm. lives or he'll go back to hell. <laughs> and uh, it's so fucking mm. stupid, you guys. <laughs> I seriously, I, I'm so glad that people are starting to like talk about it a little bit more. But it amazes me that there this isn't like one of those legendary yeah. things people talk about. Um, hey, you know, and, and here's the thing, you know, what, Disney is going to start their insidious <laughs> streaming service. There you go. This this was, had intros by Michael Eisner. This is like a deep pocket Disney project. That's pretty sweet. And they'll never put it on their streaming no, service. It's going to be right sitting there, right next to so, Song of the South. Song just, of the South nope. and Condor Man. Just the, the embarrassment. I, I bet we get Condor Man. Is, well, maybe. So. I bet we eventually get Condor Man. There's, there's enough ir- irony in the world to, to dig up Condor you Man. Know. There is not enough irony to resurrect the Run of Your Lives of Dr. I, 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 would, I would bet you anything that some intrepid individual at Disney mm. has been trying to pitch a Condor Man reboot for a while. Like, you understand? Like we already own it. Uh, yeah, high, high budget, super yeah. high concept. It could be the next Rocketeer. Rocketeer mm. didn't make money. It'll be the next next Rocketeer. <laughs> the, the one after that. Here's a letter from Daniel. Hi, Daniel. Oh, hello, Daniel. Hey, guys, just discovered your show and have been binging it, and I'm really digging it. I have a suggestion for a show from when I was a kid that was batshit. It was called Vampires. 
Oh my like, god. You're making this up. Oh and my god. it was god. a Power Rangers knockoff that was mainly CGI with some live action segments. It featured four teenagers who transformed into sentient cars to battle a group of vampire cars called the Vampires. <laughs> You're making this up. Oh uh, the teens had a mentor called Van Hill Singh. H E apostrophe L L Van Hill Singh and a sentient tricycle for a pet. <laughs> According to this, Vampires had portions of its soundtrack written and performed by John Entwistle from The Who. <laughs> what? Oh the vampires, meanwhile, operated like regular vampires, only with cars. They sucked gas instead of blood and can turn normal cars into vampires. <laughs> And just as a cherry on top of this crazy Sunday, the main vampire called Tracula yes! was voiced by Jonathan Davis of the band Corn. <laughs> does this sound something that is up your alley? Uh, yes. Hell, hell to the yes, it does. Jesus Christ, yes. Okay, so vampires just moved to the top of the list. Yes. we're gonna. T- oh my God, we're totally getting into vampires. Thank you. <laughs> Okay, because okay. listen, I know there's a lot of people who make there's a lot of suggestions, and you're great, yeah. but every once in a while, it's just like, this is why we created the, the, the show. This, that's a little too perfect. This is why so, the yeah. show exists, is to find vampires, and it looks <laughs> like it meets our rules. I'll double check, but it looks like it'll be, it, it only lasts one season. Yeah. Oh my god. Hmm. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. All right, what do we got here's, next? Uh, here's one from uh, from Cecil. He write, Cecil writes in kind of frequently. Cecil rocks. Um, Cecil, I have watched 47 episodes of What's My Line, an American panel show that lasted 17 years. It's fantastic. Oh, I've seen What's My Line. They even I'm... just rebooted What's My Line. I always uh, get I'm... confused with What's My Line with uh, Whose Line Is It Anyway? Well, Whose Line Is It Anyway is improv comedy, and that's right. still on. Um, I mainly just wanted to tell everyone that existed, but while I'm here, do you think QI will be used to show? Do you think QI will be used to show what we what we were like in seventy years? QI, like oh, like question type shows. Ah, um, sure, sure. I, we're gonna be uh, desperately trying to figure out what the fuck was on our minds. Yeah, yeah. Like you can go back to the '80s, and it's a crazy weird time but you can kind of find some sort of unifying theories now yeah um we're gonna have to use a lot of hindsight to figure out the present there's a there's a there's a great book i once read on costume design i think it was edited or written Mm. by uh john landis's uh wife whose name escapes me right now and i'm gonna look it up because i want to give her proper credit but it was really cool and it had a lot of uh, uh fantastic uh, sketches and uh, pictures of the finished product. And there's this one story someone was telling about McCabe and Mrs. Miller, uh-huh. which is a fantastic period piece starring Warren Beatty. A uh, Robert Altman movie. Yeah, and uh, it, it's... Uh, was, wasn't Julie though. Christie. Julie Christie, thank mm-hmm. you. Uh, and it, they start like a gambling casino and brothel in Alaska. Yeah. And uh, it's all... the only things to do. And they build the town slowly over the course of the film, and it's completely insane. And they were talking about um, how they wanted the costume design to look. And what they said was, you know, it's the, technically it's a Western, that's the time period, but they didn't want it to look like a bunch of other shit in Westerns because a lot of people have costumed their Westerns based off of what people took photographs of at the time. Mm. But the costume designer said, I didn't trust that because photographs are staged. Were, well, they're staged and they're, they're, they're not common. It's not every day. You put on your best or... You know, you see like a picture of someone in a ten gallon hat. It doesn't mean everyone wore ten gallon hats. That might just mean, oh my god, if you've seen this guy's fucking stupid hat, we <laughs> have to take a picture of this hat. Like that's mm. that's the that's the gag. But um, 
Yeah, so um, we're going to try to decipher things mm. based on what we know. As uh, I think Deborah Nadel, uh, Nadulman uh, worked on that. Oh, but yeah, okay. uh, fucking fascinating book. Uh, mm. uh, look that up. I'm going to see if I can try to find the actual thing while you read another letter. Okay. Um, this comes from Daniel, but a different Daniel. Mm. Hello, other Daniel. All of our listeners are named Daniel. Hi, Daniel. Uh, uh, dressed. A Century of Hollywood Costume Design. Dressed. Great okay. book. Yeah. Uh, hi, guys. I got a little behind on my podcast listening over the summer, and I'm now catching up. I just listened to the Bates Motel episode, and someone wrote in a letter regarding a series that was on that was canceled too soon called Good Morning Miami. Mm. This is a show that, for some unknown reason, I actually watched sporadically, despite the fact that I didn't really like it. That's a lot. It's a lot of TV you consume, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, coincidentally, you also talked about chemistry and the kinds of chemistry uh, relating to the baseball show, whose name it, that was Pitch. Yeah, it's Pitch. Uh, Miami actually had a pretty good cast. The lead sad sack was played by Mike F- Feuerstein. Feuerstein? Feuerstein. M- Mark Feuerstein, whose career has certainly had ups and downs. The girl he took the job to stay near was played by Ashley Williams, with whom he had no chemistry at all. Her character was engaged to, this, to the sort of antagonist played by Matt Letcher. At a certain point, he kind of gives up on Williams and t- takes up with the grumpy comic second lead, played by the excellent Constance Zimmer, with whom Feuerstein did have chemistry, but as with Molly Ringwald and John Cryer, it wasn't sexual chemistry. Though the production tried to make make it so, it never rang true. The cast members who actually seemed to have sexual chemistry were Feuerstein and Matt Letcher. There were some scenes where the two of them engaged in some hostility that actually came off as flirting. Sometimes these scenes actually came to life. Anyway, it was never a very good show, though. It very easily could have been groundbreaking if they had, had would have followed said chemistry. Kept up with the good work. Looking forward to the new movie show. Yeah, I, chemistry's a funny thing. You never know who's going to have it and who doesn't. Yeah. You can have two incredibly talented people, and they just they mm. don't bounce off each other. Mm. At all. And then you <laughs> put them together with some uh, actors who maybe aren't as refined or famous and they're just fucking magical <laughs> like like uh, Sandra Bullock and Keanu Reeves Keanu Reeves isn't exactly the single most alluring presence like he's he's great but like he's not Cary Grant he doesn't like you know ooh, ooh he's gonna talk like it's not it's not like that kind of thing like Cary Grant had chemistry with everybody who had a mm. pulse and then and then some uh, but Keanu Reeves and Sandra Bullock and Speed they played off each other really well. They just they had mm. they found a good groove. And then when Keanu Reeves didn't come back for Speed Two, they put her next to Jason Patrick, who is a good actor. Yeah, he's fine. He's a non-entity in that movie. They got though. nothing. Yeah. He's yeah. got he he can't like elevate a nothing role. And they're you know they don't ha- they only have like a couple of minutes basically to be romantically involved before the plot separates them. So those <laughs> minutes are all that count. And they just didn't. There was no mm. there was no spark there at all. At what, all. One of the many things wrong with Speed 2 yeah, Cruise also, Control. Also, but you know who wasn't uh, responsible for the flaws in Speed 2 Cruise mm-hmm. Control? Willem Dafoe. Fishing with John's co-star <laughs> Willem Dafoe. He really, when he's like covering tra- himself. Traveled with a tub full of leeches. <laughs> a weird plot detail. Anyway. <laughs> strange, uh, here, here, strange film. Here's a letter from Cat Half American Brit. Oh, hello, Cat. She, she's written in a couple times. Yeah. Hello, acclaimed critics. Uh, uh, this is uh, in response to Kindred the Embraced, our ah. vampire show. So she's going to respond to things we brought up about other vampire properties. Let's do it. So, hi, acclaimed critics. On Vampire Diaries. While I watched all of the Vampire Diaries, I would not go to bat for it being a great vampire. So ah, it went downhill from, se- uh, from season four, and it lasted eight seasons. That's a lot of bad plot lines. However, it's spinoff... The Originals, 
is quite good with older non-teen characters. It focuses on the more interpersonal dynamics of living with each other for a thousand years than the struggles with the minutiae of being a vampire. By the way, both shows have bars where the characters regularly meet up. Uh, the one in the originals is meant to be a safe haven, but both have impressive body counts. On Twilight... The problem with this, and why people, especially teens, should be discouraged from being fans, is that it teaches unhealthy lesson- lessons about relationships. Oh, yeah. this has been talked That's about That's really a lot. the biggest yeah. problem with it, yeah. For example, the 100-plus vampire stealing into her room at night to watch her sleep and stalking her. Also, doesn't that mean she's underage for him? Well, I think after a while, any human would be. Yeah, that's uh, that's that is something you kind of walk into after a while when you do these sort of immortal love things. The same thing with Highlander. I don't care if she's in her thirties; she's too young for Christopher Lambert, (laughs) who's four hundred. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Alternately, the suggestion that one ought to exclude friends and family and only spend time with with one's love interest. That's dangerous. I I was in a relationship like that. A lot of the abusive behavior was pointed out as problematic when the Fifty Shades of Grey books, which originated as Bella Edward fan fiction, were published. But most people didn't re-examine the source material for these themes, which are there. Salvageable plot idea from this. Do you think that there's something, even if only a TV movie, in the teen girl who goes to live with a vampire being afraid to die, and as a result of her dad's death, so wanting to become a vampire, and the immortal relative is explaining she really has a problem with loss, and that would be worse than being a vampire, and her refusing to listen because she thinks her motivation is her love for her vampire boyfriend? I don't know. There's there's there, something there. There's I mean, a, I'd love well, to I mean, see that. I love movies where broody teens are called on their shit. Lady Bird is great because that's all <laughs> that is. Uh, the Edge of Seventeen is great for the exact same reason. You know the so the problem with the Twilight movies. I haven't read the books. Is that they don't ever call Bella on her shit. They. Yeah in fact, are all about indulging that very immature teen fantasy of your first love being the love forever and how that love needs to be tainted with this element of death and apocalypse and, and in order also, to be true. And also that love will last forever because yeah. that is the only pure love. That mm. is very, that is hitting a target demo so fucking hard yeah. because we've all been there. Mm. Um, that's, we've that's all what, been in the eighth grade. Well, I understand. No, but like first love, I, I remember I was talking to my therapist once and we were talking about like the first time you fall in love with somebody, mm. you've never exercised that emotion. Mm-hmm. That motion of actually being in love with somebody, especially when it's reciprocated, uh, is it's a, it's it's like a narcotic, and you just <laughs> don't know how to handle it. It's so overwhelming because you've never had to handle it before. It's too mm-hmm. much. Grief is. We, he brought it up uh, uh, because we're talking about grief. Grief is the same way. Mm-hmm. The first time you lose someone very very close to yeah, you, yeah. you've never had to grieve like that before, and it's completely overwhelming. So Twilight caters to that, but what you bring up actually in that letter I think is actually something I think of a lot. Mm. Most narratives, most obviously fictional narratives about people who are functionally immortal, people who have been alive for hundreds of years, Mm. whether they're mutants or vampires or whatever. Some sort of fantasy creature, they don't die. Yeah, Yeah. people, people die, so these people don't, it's a fantasy. There's always this sort of attempt to comfort the audience by saying that immortality isn't all it's cracked up to be. Mm. So it's the sour grapes approach. Well, I don't know if it's sour grapes. I don't know if it's supposed to be reassuring to us. It's okay that you don't live forever because living forever Mm. would suck. I would like to see more stories in which people who live forever get wiser. Yeah, yeah. And that whole thing is like, oh, you, 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 you're you, into me. You, you think I'm uh, really uh, romantic because I'm a vampire. Look, there's an upside. 
But right. y- becoming a vampire doesn't solve your problems. You're, you'll just be immortal and have these problems. That you need to solve those, and then you can make a conscious decision. Because right now, all you are doing is fleeing your problems mm. rather than dealing with them. And listen, I sympathize if it'd be three hundred years to learn that. Like that would be uh, maybe, great. <laughs> maybe the problem with Edward Cullen is yeah. that he gets so unbelievably horny in Bella's presence that his wisdom just vanishes from I his think head. That, I think that's actually the plot. Because yeah, the whole is, thing is yeah. that he, she smells too good. Yeah. Like her blood is too delicious. You're my own personal brand of heroin. God, I hate those movies. <laughs> is that actually the line? That's an actual line of dialogue. Oh you God, are my I own personal brand that. of heroin. And when she first, when he first sees her, like walk into the room, it looks like he comes in his pants. This is <laughs> awful. Like seriously, Jesus, just the face dude. he makes. It's so awful. Jesus. All right, fine. Hey, um, Anyway, she, uh, she continues. Uh, okay. Then, then, yeah, we then she gets turned by the rival sect and loses the boyfriend. So Realsies, her vampire relative, was right, and now she feels that her, her immortality is cursed. I wrote this outline in three minutes, so I don't have an ending. Well, uh, Kendra yeah, had a little it. bit of that with yeah. being turned by yeah. your rival vampires. Yeah. But uh, look, vampires linger because, uh, like, as an art, as a genre, mm-hmm. as a type of character, as a as a myth, uh, because they are versatile. You can you can do a lot with them. They're very romantic. There's mm-hmm. all this nighttime. It can be scary. It can be romantic. Stuff. It can be uh, funny. It can be. Uh, uh, it, there's a bunch of different ways to go. There's a bunch of different themes that can be explored with the simple the idea mm-hmm. of someone who lives forever, but at a sacrifice of mm-hmm. morality and quite literally living in the shadows. Uh, that, that works. It will always work. There will always to vampires. be vampires. Nuts to vampires. Here, where's my mummies? We, we tried. We tried. It did not work <laughs> yeah, this true. summer. Uh, two random side notes. Uh, a, I love how much Whitney gets into describing the hot-looking men. <laughs> and B, do you know who Lily Langtree was in history? She was an actress who was one of Edward VII's mistresses. Well, all right. Uh, uh, the not more really, you, no. The more you know. Uh, here is a letter from Alexandra. Hello, Alexandra. Hello. She starts with, hi, I'm Alexandra. Hello, Alexandra. Hi. I love bad things. So I love your podcast. Thanks. Hey, wait a minute. <laughs> uh, please don't watch The Good Doctor. <laughs> spoiler ahead. Fine. Spoil it. I don't care. Uh, okay. Uh, if, if, if you don't want The Good Doctor spoiled, then skip ahead. Uh, it's a by-the-numbers show. The first flashback to him and his brother. You know that the brother is going to be dead, and he's going. it's going to be his motivation for him being a doctor, which is what you find out at the end of the episode. It's a couple shows like There's that. There's a lot of shows like that. We Pitch was like that. Pitch was yeah. just like that, yeah. Uh, every character is just a walking cliche. I kept saying to myself, who the hell would like this? Then my middle-aged co-worker, who was watching it with me, turns and says she thought it was great. I almost cried, and then I Googled it. And has the highest ratings of the night, even over The Voice. And after that, I cried. I love you guys, Alexandra. <laughs> I haven't seen The Good Doctor. Mm-hmm. It's it's every once in a while there's a hit show that I find out is a, is a hit show like and, yeah, really and late, and I'm why? like, why? Why is that a hit? I understand doing okay, but like a hit? A hit? What is yeah. it? No, I haven't seen one episode of The Good Doctor. Maybe I'd end up loving mm-hmm. it, but like, uh, yeah, it's it came out of nowhere. Like no one, no one talked about mm-hmm. it, and then just all the ratings everywhere. Uh, the, yeah. the, the highest rated show, like a, it's so rare that I saw anything that was highly rated, apart from maybe The Simpsons or The X Files, right? Um, and even even The X Files weren't highly rated for several seasons. Yeah, and I, I was watching it from day one, so. Yeah. I don't understand what makes TV shows popular. Probably why I want to do this podcast so much because the, the failure is far more fascinating. 
So yeah, when I saw an episode of Friends, I didn't understand. It's like that—that's the hit show. This is the one that's taking the world by storm. I didn't quite understand that. Um, yeah, Walker Texas Ranger was on for what twenty-eight years. It was just—I think it's still on. Going. Yeah. yeah, it hasn't—it hasn't stopped. Chuck Norris died ten years ago. His, his beard is actually just like attached itself to another actor, and that actor became another Chuck Norris. <laughs> it's like this—it's like the thing from Deep Space Nine. It just—it's a host that attaches itself onto different bodies. Okay, that's a good idea. Someone needs to make that show. The beard, the no, Chuck it's like, Norris it's like, beard. Yeah, just like the beard is a good title for it. But yeah, just mm. basically, it's just about Chuck Norris's beard jumping onto different. Hosts and it, it turns out Chuck, Chuck Norris is like the 150th hosts, and it's this ancient thing. <laughs> because you remember, you remember, he didn't always have that beard, and before, and once he got the beard, he was more famous. That's right. Throw <laughs> it out there. <laughs> Sounds like a Tales from the Crypt episode. I know. Uh, here's a uh, here's a letter from Kevin. Hi, Kevin. Hi. Uh, hey guys, having done a bit of digging into prestige television of eras past, I was wondering how the rules of Cancel Too Soon apply to shows who, that fall under the classification of wheel series yeah for listeners who are unaware a wheel series is a term when several shows of a similar genre alternated episodes in the same time slot having fewer episodes made the show able to have more prestigious actors and production values and are probably seen as peak tv of the era in terms of ongoing series I was wondering specifically about the NBC Wheel series The Bold Ones, Mm. which consisted of several dramas showcasing progressive characters and high drama careers. The the two most ambitious segments only lasted one short season each. The Protectors, starring Leslie Nielsen as a conservative Ohio lawman who is brought to the California city to reduce the volatile crime rate and finds himself clashing with the city's progressive black DA, played by Harry Rhodes, leading to a groundbreaking incorporation of racial and political elements into crime plots unusual for TV at the time. The Protectors lasted for only seven episodes from February 1969 to March 1970 before being replaced by The Senator, starring Hal Holbrook as an optimistic freshman senator whose ambitious liberal agenda sometimes causes him to become alienated from his fellow lawmakers. The Senator lasted only eight episodes, counting the early TV movie A Clear and Pregnant Danger, which Holbrook introduced the Holbrook character. From 70 to 71, it won five Emmys, including Best Drama Series and Best Actor. I'm unsure if these series would qualify as a podcast under the monthly movie, but I certainly think they're worth checking out, especially due to their influence on later series such as Law and Order and the West Wing. You know, uh, um, the, when the, it comes yeah. to wheel series, which was really common uh, throughout like the 1970s and early 80s, especially the 70s, uh, especially yeah. the 70s, uh, it was used in prime time. I grew up with it in Saturday morning. Uh, time slots. Yeah, that a was, lot we, of shit. Like we this. talked about that when the Drac Pack. We did that yeah, episode about um, how like you never knew it was going to be on at nine a.m. We like to take each unit separately as its own series from within the wheel. Generally speaking, that would be even the if case. even if the wheel lasted a really long time. If one segment within it only lasted a short uh, segment, that I think would be eligible. I, I think we'd make an exception if they were in somehow interconnected. There was yeah. uh, one of the early pioneering wheel series was a show called The Name of the Game. Uh, which was uh, a wheel series about uh, some of it was about a reporter, one of it was about a publisher, another was about like an editor, like different magazines, but they're all owned by the same corporation, and there were some common characters. Mm-hmm. Those are all the same show, but from different angles. For example, or maybe if we did, it lasted too long, but uh, you know the Nancy Drew Hardy Boys mysteries, right, which would alternate right. every other week most of the time. Um, I think after a while they gave up on that, but. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's one of those things where we tried to make our rule as simple as possible. Mm-hmm. One season or less. Pretty straightforward. 
we keep running into exceptions. <laughs> there's always something weird. Yeah, there's a TV movie or something. There's, yeah. some, there's even some debate about whether Fishing with John was technically a miniseries or not. Um, we're doing our best. Mm. We're making the judgment calls. Uh, these are our rules. We make it up and we can so, yeah. we can fudge it if we want and we can lay down the law uh, otherwise. But uh, we do want to get into some more wheel series type stuff. Problem is, a lot of those shows aren't as readily available. Um, yeah, the, the the wheel series format has become so gauche in, in recent TV I, programming. Yeah, we were lucky we were able to track down cliffhangers. Yeah, which I'm so glad we did. I'm glad we did. Cliffhangers that was is pretty terrific. Cliffhangers is one of the best. We've discovered some really good shows. <laughs> I mean, there's been some shit, but like there, we've found some real beauties. Oh, oh there's been some shit. Oh yeah, Imaginary but like Mary Mary, but uh, <laughs> that was a rough one. But like I, honestly, I think Hot Springs Hotel might be kind of still still, your, still, still the nadir of all of this. But, I, yeah. I'm, I'm serious. I was thinking about it because like in a few months we'll have to do our next uh, awards show, uh-huh. and I was realizing that the competition for best show we reviewed this year is uh, actually pretty stiff. There's some cool stuff we've done. Like I, I love that this is like a sh- this is like a, a crop mm. in which uh, you know like Sweet Vicious could compete with Fishing with John and Cliffhangers. Like, <laughs> when are you going to see all those things lumped together in the same award show? <laughs> Only here. So cool. Cancel too soon. Uh, another letter. Are we done? We'll do one more letter. Then all we're right. done. Here's another one from another Dan- yet another Daniel. So many Daniels. Um, hi, Whitney and Bibbs. On a recent episode, a listener wrote in asking about Joan of Arcadia, asking if it was Girl- Gilmore Girls with God, which, in his opinion, would be terrible. First, Gilmore Girls was a great fucking show. <laughs> Second, Joan and Gilmore had completely different tones. Joan was far more sincere. It was more like my so-called life with God. It was actually pretty good, largely my because... My so-called it- God. <laughs> my God-called life. Uh, it was actually pretty good, largely because it had an excellent cast. The episodic quest of the week could get a little stale, but there was enough continuity to keep it interesting. That said, if someone's idea of entertainment is supernatural with Joan of Arc, they probably wouldn't like the show. Mm. Keep up the good work. Looking forward to the, ne- the new show, Daniel. The, uh, written before we launched our new show. Yeah. Mm. Oh, we have so much catching up left to do. Yeah. How are we doing? Uh, we're, we're actually getting kind of close we'll okay? here. Yeah. Okay, good. Well, listen up for we're, the. Uh, we're less than a month behind at this point. Well, listen, so, yeah. uh, next week we'll do we'll be able to do some more letters because next week we're going to be doing the winner of our latest Patreon poll. Yeah. Uh, we were going to do another show, but it's kind of a long one. Mm. Uh, and uh, this week got busy with yeah, the holidays yeah. and a bunch of work stuff. So next week, the winner of the latest Patreon poll is the failed pilot. For Practical Magic of the series. You picked it. You That you, was you, what you, you picked. You, you became a Patreon subscriber, so you could choose this sort of thing. You picked it. You, you picked that over it? Karen Sisko with Carla Gugino. You picked it over Working Girl with Sandra Bullock. Um, was, okay. You picked I, it over I, Dirty Dancing the series. I was kind of hoping that you would pick Working Girl because that would force me to do research into the film, which I haven't seen. Oh, I love Working Girl. So but I've, I actually have seen Practical Magic three times. It's a lot. In theaters. That's a lot. Yeah. You're going to have to tell that story next week. Uh, there's not much to it. Well, th- but still it, save it. It'll, it'll be, it'll be a, a big surprise. <laughs> Why did Whitney see Practical Magic three times in a theater? What did they have I'm, on him? I mean, it's not the worst <laughs> movie ever or anything like that. It's actually yeah. like kind of charming. But like, but why would I watch it more than once? I, especially in a theater. Why can, how, how interesting. Why can I sing every lyric of Faith Hill's This Kiss? What's, because the, what's, of what's the weirdest? Is that the weirdest movie you've seen like more than three, like more than twice in a theater? Because once, mm. perfectly fine. Twice, you got dragged to it a second time. People don't want to see it. Yeah. Three or more is, is noteworthy, That's I you. think. Well, I, here, here's the worst story. Um, 
I saw that really awful remake of 13 Ghosts the morning it opened, because I was seeing everything at that point I in saw, my life. I, I liked it fine. It's I, a stupid movie, but it, it was fun. It's not worthy of any note whatsoever. Other than to steer you toward the William Castle original. Um, the it problem was, I, I had seen it and then had forgotten that I promised a friend that I would see it with them on opening night. Ooh. So I had to see it twice in a day. <laughs> I saw the remake of 13 Ghosts twice in one day. That was a rough one. <laughs> because I didn't like it either time, really. Nice. nice. Mm. Uh, did you see it three times? No. Think about think I only about, saw it twice. Think about twice, the movie twice in a day. Think about the movie you saw the most that makes no sense to you in retrospect. And that we'll I talk saw about it multiple next week. times. Okay. We'll talk about it next week. If we remember to talk about it. Anyway, mm. thank you so much for listening. Uh, again, we are everywhere we're on twitter uh, at cancelcast i'm at william bibiani i'm at whitney seibold uh we're on itunes please subscribe if you haven't already we're also on stitcher and a whole bunch of other places as well wherever you find us please leave us a review mm-hmm. uh we're on patreon.com slash cancel too soon uh our next cancel too soon monthly movie unfortunately has had to change because we were going to technical difficulties it, we, it turns out the copy of it happened one christmas the uh, gender swapped tv remake of it's a wonderful life starring marlo thomas and orson wells uh unfortunately has a problem in it and we can't finish it yeah we, we, <laughs> i was really digging it too you said part part of it was playable and the rest just wasn't and half half a tv movie does not an episode make so, so. we're gonna do we're gonna do uh, uh at least one hopefully two Cancel season monthly movies for as a sort of a Christmas present for you. Yeah. Um, so uh, that's coming up, and you can only get that uh, on Patreon. Um, and um, and yeah, you can also listen to us every week on our new podcast, critically acclaimed, which is on the Schmoes No mm-hmm. uh, iTunes feed. That's free, but you get a whole bunch of different shows with it. We air every Sunday, or you can check that out on the SK Plus YouTube channel. Whitney, am I forgetting something? Uh, no, that's pretty much it for now. Uh, re- you can read our stuff. We both contribute to IGN these days. Lately. Uh, IGN I, stuff. I got, just had a bunch of my essays go up on the New Beverly blog. That's I, cool. I work as a projectionist at the New Beverly Cinema here in Hollywood. And, that's a cool place. And they also published. occasionally publish uh, essays that I write. And I got to write uh, back-to-back to uh, Dickens-inspired essays. That's really cool. For Scrooge and the Muppet Christmas Carol. Yay! All right, uh, so you can check all that out over there. Uh, But yeah, we'll be back next week with Practical Magic, the failed series. Mm -hmm. And we'll tell you if it was canceled too soon. So With a uh, title like that, you'd think so. The failed series. Anyway, that's a wrap, folks. We'll see you next season. (laughs) 